0: In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the Zakhut speaking to Rabbi Ken Spiro. Rabbi Spiro is a senior lecturer and researcher for Isha Torah in Yerushalayim. In addition, he is a licensed tour guide from the Israel Ministry of Tourism. He graduated from Vassar College with a BA in Russian Language and Literature and did graduate studies at the Pushkin Institute in Moscow. He has an MA in History from the Vermont College of Norwich University and rabbinic Ordination from Yeshivat Eshat Torah in Yerushalayim. He has appeared on numerous radio and television programs such as BBC Radio and TV, The National Geographic, Discovery, The History Channel, Channel 4 England, and the Arutz Sheva Israel National Radio. He is the author of World Perfect, The Jewish Impact of Civilization, and Crash Course in Jewish History. You can check out his website at kenspiro.com. Thank you so much, Rabbi Ken Spiro, for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me. So, it's Des Island Torah three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island what do they mean to you why are they so important to you really looking forward to finding out your three pieces and learning with you so if we jump right in what's your first piece of Torah
1: so my first piece is the big one I would say it's it's the 10 commandments not the 10 commandments specifically but you know people always ask why they're 10 we know there's 613 but the 10 really encapsulate the 613 but the real core that I focus on, which is one of the issues that I really I'm kind of obsessed with for many many years, is the notion of God as the source of morality. I mean, the essence of of Mount the Mount Sinai experience, where we hear God speak, is that we connect to the Creator of the universe, and He gives us an absolute standard of morality. Uh, and and uh, you know, I'm a i am basically I'm a rabbi and a historian, and when I look at uh, human history, and I, the first book I wrote was World Perfect. It was The Impact of Monotheism and Morality. One thing we see is you know, in the ancient world, there was no idea of an absolute standard of morality. Every society had a, a system of regulations, laws, customs that decided, you know, what you could do and could do, but it wasn't based on an absolute standard. It was based on what was acceptable, what the majority wanted, what you perceived different gods wanted because the entire ancient world was essentially polytheistic. You ended up with a world that was basically amoral. And because it was amoral without without really an absolute standard of morality, it degenerated into being immoral. So when you look at the ancient world, you see that basic concepts, concepts that are so fundamental to what we call Western democracy are really absent. Value of life, the notion of peace as an ideal state, equal justice, education, proactive social responsibility. These ideas don't exist. doesn't mean that the people in the ancient world were all horrible and evil. Most people are just trying to make it through the day and survive. But we, when we look at the ancient world, and if we could beam ourselves back to that world, we would be horrified by the level of inhumanity and cruelty that exists. in even the most sophisticated societies in the ancient world, because I think we often make a mistake and think that there's a relationship between Um, law and order, culture, and technology. And the reality is there's no relationship between law and order, culture, technology, and morality. We see in the ancient world and even in the modern world that some of the most law and order societies, politically developed, culturally developed, technologically advanced societies have been some of the most cruel, brutal. We see it with the Roman Empire thousands of years ago, and we see it with Germany, you know, with the rise of Nazism. So the... The idea that probably lights me up more than any other idea is, um, I think Dostoevsky, the great Russian writer, said it beautifully, where there is no God, everything is permissible. Or the British author G.K. Chesterton had a great line. He said, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. And moral relativism has, you know, certainly in the ancient world and even in the modern world today, has proved to be a remarkably destructive phenomenon. So Judaism comes into the world that introduces, you know, the most transformative idea, both in terms of spirituality and morality. That's what Mount Sinai is all about. That there is one God that he didn't just create the world and go on vacation. The whole Mount Sinai experience of the Ten Commandments is that God creates a world and he cares about his creation and he interacts with his creation. The history is a control process leading to a destination and that he gives his creation a system of laws and values that he expects uh, humanity to live by. They're absolute. There's not a question of whether we like this or not, whether it's popular, whether we can do it cheaper. What is right is right and what is wrong is wrong in an absolute sense. Good and evil are absolutes that are not open to, you know, human interpretation, evaluation. And there's no question in my mind as a historian, and if you have the broad sweep of history in front of you, it's pretty clear that that idea of you know those 10 commandments has been no question in my mind the most transformative idea in all of human history it's the basis really of, of western liberal democracy although the word comes from the greeks the fundamental utopian values of western civilization that i already mentioned value of life peace you know equal justice education social responsibility basically do not exist in the world as universal truths or rights or obligations until Judaism and the offshoots that come from Judaism, Judeo-Christian ethics, and, and democracy, which largely absorbed those into its fundamental worldview, uh, bring those into the world. And, and that, for me, is the number one idea. That is the foundation of civilization, the foundation of stability, and the most significant, I would say, uh, both spiritual and moral transformation in human history is that Mount Sinai experience and how it reverberates through history until today.
0: Absolutely. In terms of the structure of the Ten Commandments, what do you think the importance of that is?
1: Well, you can do entire classes on them, but it's actually you're, you're kind of leading into another point I want to talk about is another fundamental. So maybe I'll save that. But there are literally whole books written on how those ten encapsulate everything. But within the answer I really want to give is really like one of the three points that i want to give over so I, I think i'll save that answering that question until we get to another three should we go, should we
0: go into your second piece of torah
1: uh, sure sure so the the uh, second one that that i really like is in the book of exodus it's chapter 19 verses four through six and it's before mount sinai <coughs> it's actually two different quotes but the first one is one is a famous statement of a rabbi but in terms of biblical quotes before we stand at Mount Sinai, God basically makes a speech to the Jewish people. And he says, you, he says, you see how I brought you out of Egypt and carried you on eagle's wings. And then he says, you know, he basically says, now, if you'll just agree to have a relationship with me and keep your, your side of the bargain. He said, you know, he, he says, he says, the whole world is mine and you will be for me. This is the quote, this is the line I so love from the Bible. Kohanim kadosh. She'll be a nation of priests and a holy people. So that, that's a really interesting concept. Nation of priests and a holy First of all, we Jews are not just a religion, we're actually a, we're a national identity. But within the Jewish people, if, if you're familiar with Judaism, you know that there's, you know, the Jewish people are made up of the children of Jacob who break into tribes, but there's a subgroup of the tribe of Levi, the Levites, who are the Kohanim. And they're descendants of Aaron, Moses's brother and his children. They had unique responsibilities in in biblical Israel in terms of uh, ministering to God, so to speak, in the temple, in charge of the priestly services that were done in the temple. But they had also unique level of stringencies of things they weren't allowed to do, who they could marry, having to remain in a state of ritual purity. They were within the unique Jewish nation, uh, like sort of a higher level of spirituality, of kedusha, of holiness. But here in this quote, God's saying to us that you in totality will be to me a nation of priests and a holy people. And I think this is one of the ideas that is both lost on the Jewish people. What is our goal? What is our responsibility? Um, you know, I love asking students when I'm teaching in groups, audiences, not just students, you know, audiences of regular people, you know, what is the purpose of being Jewish? It's when I ask better educated Jews or Orthodox Jews who are better educated and tend to be more familiar with these texts. They always tell me the purpose of being Jewish is to serve God or to learn the Torah and do the commandments, do the mitzvot. And I always respond that, first of all, serving God is a figure of speech. He's infinite. You can't do anything for infinity. God needs nothing from us. He doesn't need us to pray to him, to keep kosher for him or Shabbat for him. Um, and Torah and mitzvot are absolutely essential to Jewish continuity and to directing our individual and collective drive in the right direction, accomplishing our mission but it's a means to an end. The real purpose of being Jewish is exactly what's said in that quote. You'll be mamlechet Koanim Bagoi kadosh. Kiddush Hashem, which I think is the most important principle in Judaism, which is the idea that our jobs from Abraham onwards for 3,700 years, as I said previously in the first point, is to be the people who reintroduce humanity to God. Unlike the standard anthropological historical understanding of humanity's relationship with monotheism, which it evolved out of polytheism, Judaism says the opposite. Judaism says that no, Adam and Eve, you know, the original progenitors of, of, of humanity of today had a close relationship with God and that relationship fell apart. It was lost to humanity. Humanity goes into a spiritual decline and a moral decline because the two, as I mentioned previously, are totally connected. You know, Before the flood, the world descends into violence and lawlessness in the Bible. So along comes Abraham, who is able to rediscover and reconnect to that. And so the idea of chosen people is Abraham says to God, you know, I choose you, God. I choose to, to dedicate my life and the life of my descendants to one mission, to teaching the world about uh, the reality of you and the values that come from relationship with you. And God says back to Abraham, you're choosing me, Abraham, and I choose you and your descendants, us, the Jewish people. What are we chosen for? It's not privilege. It may be a privilege to be Jewish, but we're not chosen for privilege. We're chosen for responsibility. What's the responsibility then? So the the word that the Jewish world loves to overuse and misuse is tikkun olam, which is translated as fixing the world, um, which is certainly a bigger cause than saving the whales, but it's more than tikkun olam. It's about kiddush Hashem. We are the God squad, so to speak. Our job is to live and act in a way that inspires humanity people are supposed to look at us the jewish people and say look at these jews look at how they live look at how look at their families their relationships how they raise their kids their marriages their community how they do business what's their secret we're supposed to be elevating the world by example judaism is not into conversion it's not into conquest it's to and if you do the right thing people follow it i always say you know when i'm speaking i say to ask people you ever heard that line um Imitation is the highest form of flattery. It's a very famous quote, and people always nod their head. And I said, "That's the that's the shortest class you ever got on Christianity and Islam, because had not we lived literally for thousands of years, not that Jews are perfect in the non-Jewish world was all horrible and evil, but had not we brought into the world just a different level of of living, of of a notion of a God, of a, a notion of morality and and responsibility and." creating a society that had a much higher level of literacy and education and social welfare infrastructure, despite whatever flaws we had as a nation, individually or collectively, those religions would not have been born from us. Now, it could be that they might think today that they may have replaced us. That's a separate discussion. But if not for us being a positive role model, that would not have happened. And we have to remember that's still our job until today And in a world that is so overwhelmed with social media and you know where our role models are actors actresses um athletes you know people rock musicians not that these people some of them are very nice people but they're not just because they're famous and they're out there and they're influencers doesn't mean they should be role models we are supposed to be humanity's role models that is our responsibility and that brings me to like the, the other quick point i wanted to bring in up was there's a very famous quote from a who was a great early 19th century rabbi. He said, when Jews don't make kiddish, Gentiles make Havdalah. And, you know, kiddish is the ceremony we make on Friday night over a cup of wine. When we go to the, that higher day of spirituality, you, you bring it in with a cup of wine and making certain blessings. And Havdalah is the ceremony you make on Saturday night when the Shabbat goes down and we go back to our lower level of weekday, Monday, worldly existence. It's not meant to be taken literally. What Rav Haim of Ravalajan is saying is one of the most profound points, and by the way, the clearest, shortest explanation of all anti-Semitism. Our job is to fill the world with certain values. You know, there's a basic principle in physics that nature abhors a vacuum. You know the laws of physics. If the world isn't full of the values that we put in the world via relationship with God of peace and value of life and equal justice and practical social responsibility, the world will be full of the opposite values. The opposite values are evil the absolute objective sense of the word, and when evil comes into the world, it will target the Jewish people first, which is an incredibly profound idea to understand because we often get distracted by the uh, excuses of why we're hated as a people, and we Jews have undergone and lasted through the longest, most irrational, universal, deepest hatred in human history, which is anti-Semitism, and we often think that, oh, they hate us because they're jealous of our success. Trust me, medieval Europe a thousand years ago when Jews were at the bottom of the barrel, the poorest, most abused people, people were not jealous of us, but they hate us even more than today in many countries in the world. We've been accused of pretty much everything, of kidnapping Christian babies, using their blood to bake matzah, of killing wells, of killing God, excuse me, of poisoning wells, of being in leave with the devil, of, you know, of... Controlling the world's economy, seismic activities, solar flares. We trigger tsunamis in Southeast Asia to drown Indonesia with tidal waves, release sharks into the Red Sea to destroy Egyptian tourism, send vultures to spy on Saudi Arabia. Iran accused us three years ago of stealing their cloud cover. All these things are excuses. This is but people may believe them, but it's like being distracted by the symptoms of a disease rather than focusing on what's the real disease and the cause. And we Jews understand, and that's why that or of Haimovologian's idea is so important, that unless we focus on what's really causing it, when we Jews are not using our incredible drive and the incredible power we have as a people to bring those values in the world. We're not Jews for Judaism being the positive role models. The world starts going the other direction and it comes after us because we literally have been dragging the world, kicking and screaming towards a vision of values based on a relationship with God. And anti-Semitism, regardless of whatever excuse it hides behind and regardless of who believes it or not, is always a rebellion against the national historic mission of the Jewish people to bring the world to a certain set of values. And then you go back to a time of Elijah's quote, it's pretty simple. The world's not going to leave the Jewish people alone or the Jewish state alone until we do that. And that is a very empowering thought. Not something to get depressed about, but to recognize that being Jewish might not be comfortable, but it's always meaningful. We have a unique responsibility in the world, which we cannot. Individual Jews can always opt out, but collectively we cannot Sure. That very special mission and responsibility we have in the world of doing Kiddush Hashem, of living and acting in a way that inspires the world, and when we do that collectively as a people, I firmly believe the world will not only stop picking on us, but they'll line up behind us and 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 ask and ask us to show us and show us how, to, how do you do this? How do we make the world truly a better place?
0: Absolutely, the Mamlaha Kadosh. It's like. We are a nation representing God, and through that we've got to do Kiddush Hashem, and it's, it's such a powerful thing to really act on and do in our lives. Absolutely. Are we ready for piece number three?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, piece number three is, is I like the, in, in the Ethics of the Fathers, great quotes that I love. One is, you know, Hillel says it, that, the, you know, on, on three things the world stands. On Torah, Avodah, and Gamilas HaSadim. There's a, it's a very famous statement that, uh, actually, I, I, I think, excuse me, I'm getting my two, got to make sure i got my two quotes, one is one is Shimon HaTzadik, one is Hillel, and I might be getting the two mixed up. So that, I don't, have, I don't have the text in front of me, so I'm not sure exactly which one says which, but that quote is super important, because it says, On three things the world stands, on Torah, Avodah, and Gamilas HaSadim. And, you know, if you think about the smallest number of legs, you know, a human being can stand on two because we have balance. But the smallest number of legs that, uh, that a chair can stand on is, is basically three legs. And Judaism saying that that's what a person has to have, that without those three things, you, the world will be unbalanced. And Torah uh, is kind of like the software that gives us our clarity. That's kind of a prerequisite. But you have avoda when, when the rabbis are talking about it, we're talking about service to God. Gemilas Hasadim is service to our fellow human being. And, and that really brings me to the point that I think I obsess on more than anything else today in the world, because the world in general is so out of balance between two very different views, universalistic and particularistic. You know, the particularist view of the political right in the world today and the universalistic world, of the political left, big government top-down versus personal responsibility and and what judaism what what's being said in this quote is the importance of being first educated because you can't represent the jewish people till you know what the jewish people represents but you have to be balanced you absolutely have to be balanced which is the other famous quote from Peke avot of of uh which also beautifully fits into this the quote of Im ein anili mili. If, if i'm not for myself who will be for me and if I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? I Again, mean, It's talking about our relationship with the outside world versus relationship with myself. You know, the, the, the world is incredibly unbalanced today. Politically, it's going between two very two big extremes. Um, morally, it's very extreme between the very conservative right and the very liberal left being open to everything and. Again, our, the Jewish people's job, and the Jewish people, I thought, also believe, are in many ways very unbalanced. The, the Orthodox Jewish world has tended to focus more and more on the Avoda, our relationship with God, and being inwardly focused on their, that specific community and preserving itself, while often losing sight of the bigger role of Judaism and that the stringencies. Anyone who lives in the Orthodox Jewish world sees that much of the Orthodox Jewish world stringencies have to do with standards of strictness that I can keep my relationship with God, how kosher I can be, how modestly I can dress, what I won't watch, what I won't eat, what I won't wear. And there's nothing wrong with taking on stringencies if it feels it helps you grow spiritually. The problem with that is if you lose sight of the bigger picture, if your stringencies negatively affect your fellow Jews and your fellow human beings, it ends up being a very destructive negative point. On the other side, You get the non-Orthodox Jewish world tends to be very outwardly focused on this idea of responsibility for the world. I have to take care of all the problems in the world. I always call it Jews for every ism but Judaism, which is why if you look at pretty much any cause to make the world a better place or any political ideology in the last 150 years, if it isn't founded by Jews, it's run by Jews. Whether we're talking about communism, socialism, feminism, black civil rights, anti-apartheid, Doctors Without Borders, Human Rights Watch you know, Amnesty International, you name it. If Jews don't found it, they run it. So there it's the hyper focus on, I got to only focus on that side of, of like the social justice side, which brings you back to what you asked me at the beginning. If I could divide up the Ten Commandments, you see the Ten Commandments are pretty much evenly divided between commandments between us and God, keeping Shabbat, things like that, and not worshiping idols, and not taking God's name in vain. And then there's things about Not murdering, not committing adultery, not, you know, coveting, honoring your parents. You cannot have one without the other. When you get a society that's hyper hyper focused on just a relationship with my fellow human being without its connection to God, it loses its moral compass and starts degenerating into very immoral ideas. It's very clear to me that that's a lot of where the world is going today. When you get a society that hyper focuses just on relationship with god and doesn't keep focus on the deeper concepts of what we're about which is, is the human race out there and we're responsible for each other responsible for our fellow jews we're also responsible for the whole world then you can get also people who are very inwardly focused very non-concerned with what's going on in the world around them and just about their own existence and preserving and surviving and the, Preserve, surviving not just necessarily physically, but spiritually, we got to keep the outside influences out. Neither of them is the right way to go. I think these quotes are both talking about the necessity of being a balanced, well-rounded Jew and a balanced, well-rounded human being. And whenever we decide, let's say we're I'm an observant, Orthodox Jew, any stringencies I take upon myself in terms of things, I have to weigh them against how they're going to affect my fellow human being. It should never cause another person discomfort or embarrassment. And I think that's the real biggest challenge we have in the world today. And it's a fundamental belief that in in Judaism that because we chose for ourselves this unique responsibility, even though we're only 0.2% of the world's population, that we're really supposed to be the role models for humanity. And if we do not have our act together as a people, the world's not gonna have its act together. So it's not that the Jewish world is unbalanced because the world at large is, Vacillating back and forth between extremes in terms of morality and politics, conservatism to extreme liberalism and openness to, but it's rather because we, the Jewish people, have not been able to, for various reasons, that's a whole other discussion, create a Jewish people that is strongly connected to our Judaism and focused on building a relationship with God as our spiritual power supply, but also consciously aware of our unique obligation and keeping the big picture of our national historic mission that begins with Abraham in mind. And if we could just do that individually and collectively and create a bunch of Jews who had that consciousness, then I think the rest of the Jewish world would latch onto that. I think people are very interested in seeing how to do that. And I think the world again, would would very easily quickly fall into line because the world is so desperate to know how to get a world that is balanced and not so crazy and so, intolerant of each other and so and so ripping itself apart, which is, which is such a painful thing to see. So that's the big challenge, that's the beauty of being Jewish. And it's not an easy job, I always say. I always say being Jewish might not be comfortable, but it's always meaningful. But if we're unified as a people and we're educated as a people, we focus the incredible drive we have as a people on what our national historic mission is, Jews for Judaism make awesome role models for the human race. And that's really what the world needs today.
0: Absolutely, I love the connection between all three of your pieces and the overall message. So important for all of us to think about and to really take with us in our everyday lives. Thank you so much for joining us today and for learning with us. It was really so enjoyable and such a pleasure to have you.
1: And uh, people just add in if people. I have a, a great website, KenSpiro.com. I have lots of content and classes that are all online for free about all of this stuff in detail, anti-Semitism, Jewish impact on the world, our mission, etc. So I think it's very important that we make the effort to educate, educate ourselves. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Good stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisra. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at Torah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.